Hello, Health Investor. Welcome to another episode of the Health Investment Podcast. Today, you're going to hear from Tanya Cordy. Tanya helps people declutter and redesign their lives so they can have time for what matters most. This helps them live a more organized life, which supports them in managing time, spaces, mental health, and living their life purpose. Tanya started her career as a teacher, and after 12 years in 2014, decided that she wanted to follow her passion of helping people create spaces to match their values and life purpose. Soon after starting her business, she realized that while an organized space may be transformative, it was only the first step in making space to grow, evolve, and shift attachments. She started to apply her background in education, the arts, and psychology, along with trial and error, to create an integrated process for individuals to live out their values and have spaces that support them. This also combines mindset, habit, and lifestyle shifting. In the episode, Tanya explains the internal work you need to do if you want your home to stay decluttered and organized, why common organizational hacks may not work for you, why it's so important to master the skill of letting go, and more. Before we get to the episode, I quickly want to share one of my favorite resources with you, Dry Farm Wines. Did you know that alcohol manufacturers aren't required to post ingredients or nutrition facts on their bottles? That's how they're able to sneak sugar and other additives into their products. Fortunately, Dry Farm Wines has come up with a solution. Their natural wines are lab-tested to ensure they're sugar-free, lower in sulfites and alcohol, and also free from other industrial additives. Since I've grown accustomed to drinking natural wine, even top-rated, expensive, conventional wines give me headaches and just make me feel kind of gross. If you've never tried Dry Farm Wines, you're going to be immediately hooked by the flavor and quality of their products, as well as their top-notch customer service. To get a bottle of Dry Farm Wines for just a penny, visit dryfarmwines.com slash thehealthinvestment or click through the link in the show notes. All right, it's time to hear from Tanya. Enjoy. I'm Brooke Simonson, Certified Nutrition Coach and your host of the Health Investment Podcast. If you're ready to look and feel your best without any confusion, frustration, or stress, you're in the right place. Each week, I interview experts and share no-nonsense, research-backed tips so that you can finally lose weight for good, eat healthy long-term, have the high energy you crave, and feel like a million bucks. I'm so happy you're here with me today. Don't forget to hit subscribe so that you never miss an episode. Hi, Tanya. Thank you so much for joining me today on the Health Investment Podcast. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I think I mentioned to you when I reached out, I've had a couple of people on who have who specialize in organization and decluttering. And I personally love this topic because I think if I weren't a nutrition coach, I think I would be doing something more like you of decluttering and organizing spaces. Just that's really important to me in my own home. But I've also seen the connection between having a kind of clean, 
open space that I feel that's very light and airy and my ability to stick with healthy habits long-term. I just feel like an organized, decluttered, clean space is so important. So I love having people on the podcast to talk about this because I know it's something that people struggle with. So again, thank you for being here. Oh, you're welcome. And I, I totally agree. They go hand in hand. Like you cannot, right. you cannot have healthy habits if you don't have a healthy space. Mm, I, I can't wait to dive into that. <laughs> <laughs> I would love if you could start by uh, sharing what caused you to become interested in helping people organize and declutter their space. Mm-hmm. Uh that's, that's like, there's so many parts to that question. I would say I started doing it when I was a kid and I would literally take stuff out of my drawers and get rid of stuff and then put stuff back. So that was one aspect of it. Then when I got older and I was in like my twenties, I would help friends. I helped my uh, co-op teacher when I was in teacher's college, but it was beyond the space. It was trying to help her with her budgeting trying to help her with her parenting, trying to help her with organizing her home. You know, it was the time management. It was everything. And I didn't really get into it because I was in teacher's college and I was becoming a teacher. So I kind of put it on the sideline. And then, uh, you know, I I decided after 12 years of teaching to change things and and to actually get into this because I was helping someone at the time who was a hoarder. And they were like, why don't you do a business of this? And I'm like, yeah, teaching is not working for me. I think I will. (laughs) And then I switched to supply teaching and started the business so that I had that flexibility to to work, you know, when needed. And it really evolved because it's beyond the space. It's helping people organize their life. And another way to look at it is helping people with executive functioning because that's, you know, helping people with boundaries, with their time management, with their managing their emotions. It's organizing their space. It's planning. It's, it's all those aspects together. So it's a, that's a better way to describe it. It definitely started out as, as organizing spaces, though, even though I intended to do all of it, people were hiring me just to do their space. I see. So I guess then, do you call yourself a professional organizer or a coach? I mean, how are you different from somebody who just helps with organization? Yeah, that's, I kind of like huff and puff when people like say, what do you do? And it's like, oh, how do I describe this? (laughs) I've recently learned the term executive functioning is a better description of what I do. Um, Because like I said, it's, it's a combination of things that I'm helping with this. So I sometimes say life organization. That's a better way to describe it um, because it's not just the physical space. And so what differs then is that I start with people's values. So what is important to you in your life? What goals do you have that you want to you know, follow through with? And how do we need to look at your space to better support you in achieving those goals? How do we need to look at the disconnections and how you spend your time? And then lastly, what habits and routines and beliefs do we need to change? And that's like, those are the three major parts of the process. So it's, it, that is more of an executive functioning approach that looks at organizing the time management, the planning, you know, getting them to take initiative, being more intentional and, and just remembering people are like, oh, I forget to do this. So this is why I need to organize my space like this. It's like, no, you need to work on your memory. 
and believe that you can remember and that you don't have to do 10 different things in order to remember something that creates clutter. Just trust that you will remember. So it's, it's a lot of working parts that happen together. Mm -hmm. So if you just focus on organizing the space, then let's say somebody, you said you worked with a hoarder. So if somebody comes in and helps that person declutter and organize, are they more at risk for slipping back into that old habit without more of these executive functioning skills? Definitely. And we won't even be able to, if they're not willing to change, then it's not going to happen. Cause if you're just looking at someone coming in, putting everything in nice boxes, getting rid of maybe one tenth of what they need to get rid of, because that's all they're willing to let go of. The mess is going to come back the next week. And that's what was happening when I first started. Cause I would see the, the patterns and the beliefs and the habits that people would have to change, but they weren't up for discussing it. They just, they just wanted me there to put things nicely. And that was it. And if they just need the right storage solution and then their problems would be solved. And that's not how it works. <laughs> so I definitely right. developed a process where it was very clear that, and I do an initial consultation, um, actually kind of do two, to make sure that the person is ready to change and that they want to change and they see that they have to change in order for their situation to change. Mm-hmm. It's making me think, I work as a nutrition coach, right. and so it's making me think similarly when people have turned to some type of meal plan where you get sent meals that to eat all day long, right. or you do a meal replacement shake or protein bars or yeah. some restrictive diet, you're not actually changing the things that need to happen internally. You're not working on your mindset exactly. and establishing habits that work for you. So once the meal plan ends, then what? Then you go back to your old ways. And that's how people get in this kind of yo-yo dieting pattern. Yeah. But as you're speaking, there's almost this yo-yo clutter yeah. pattern as exactly. well that can happen without the internal work. Exactly. And it's like, well, are they addressing their emotional eating? Uh-huh. Is a person addressing their, you know, online shopping and that they're doing mm-hmm. it to avoid an emotion because they're upset and they're using it as a pick-me-up? You know, there's so many different variables at play and it's like, what is going on internally? Because if you don't look at that, your external world will never change if you're not changing the internal first or, or hand in hand at the same time, right? Mm-hmm. That, yeah, that's really interesting. Um, to I forget about that, right? That a lot of people, because again, I do work with food. So I deal with a lot of the emotional eating stuff, but same, same thing. If you log on to Amazon and are just buying things in that deep emotion you're feeling, um, that's going to then trigger more clutter. Um, But I've never had a guest, I've never had a decluttering or organization guest talk about more of this internal work. I'm sure you see, like I see, there's all these hacks out there Mm -hmm. to organize your closet (laughs) or declutter or... um, you know, I've heard one, like, put all of your kitchen stuff in your drawers in a box as if you're moving and then just take stuff out as you use it. And then after a few weeks, the stuff that's still in the box that you haven't used, you can just get rid of that stuff. And then poof, your kitchen's decluttered and it's all ready to go forever. (laughs) So why do these hacks, why do they not work? 
Oh, that's or maybe not work for long. Maybe they work in the short term. Yes. And, and I think it's this quick fix society that's avoidant. Mm. We definitely live. I, I can only speak for North America. I can't speak for other countries, but I definitely would say North America has been very well trained to avoid because we've been given so many distractions so that we don't feel our emotions. Notice what they're telling us. Look at our beliefs, look at our thoughts to say what's really going on here. And just explain, like blaming the external world or, oh, it's because of this, it's because of that, instead of looking internally and taking responsibility. Because unless you do that, the situation won't change, right? Mm-hmm. And it's that, that's why the life hacks don't work, because it's just, it's a quick fix. So, for example, if someone is constantly dumping things on their bedroom floor and they're like, oh, I just don't have enough dressers. If I had enough dressers, I would put stuff away. You get the dressers, well, they're still dumping stuff on the floor. They haven't dealt with whatever is bringing them to do that. Is it because in their mind they're like, oh, I just don't care. Maybe they're depressed and they're not looking at that depression. So it's, it's really looking at why is the person having that habit? What is their belief? Because the, the storage solution, for example, or that example you gave with the box, like that's not going to deal with why they had clutter to begin with. Because then they're just going to go get more clutter afterwards. Exactly. Yeah. Just keep saving it up. What about somebody who doesn't buy things, but just feels the need to keep every little thing sort of just in case? Or like, how do you help somebody who really has a hard time and has sort of an attachment to things? Maybe because I might need this in the future or... The what if. That's the big what if. Yeah. Okay. Is that what you call it? I call it the what if. And it's everybody. Not one person that I've worked with hasn't said that. They all say, what if I need it one day? (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. And it's starting with an area. So I I help break things down into categories. Because often what happens is people will have books in like more than one place. And then that creates the disorganization in their home because they don't have things grouped properly and organized properly. So there is a technical aspect that does need to be taught and addressed. The thing I like to do is when I do the planning part of the process, once we've established their values and goals, we go, okay, well, what are you least attached to? And we start with those categories first. And just by them having someone with them, And having a conversation as to, well, why are you keeping this? Talking about that what if? Is that anxiety realistic? Um, And going through that, even just that conversation alone, even just having that witness makes it easier for people to let go. That in itself. The other thing is I really ask a lot of questions to help people gain awareness and get perspective. And when I do that, they're like, oh, yeah, I didn't think of it like that. And then they're like, okay, fine, I'll get rid of it, right? And it's, it's helping them see things differently. It's helping them reframe. Because think about it. We spend most of our social lives outside of our homes. So people don't actually come into our homes as much as we socialize outside of our home. Mm-hmm. Those are all our hidden secrets of our thinking, of our beliefs, that people won't see unless they come over. So unless someone comes in your home and then sees you doing that and says, well, what's that all about? Then it's hard. It's sometimes hard for a person to even realize that like, oh, well, that actually wasn't helpful. 
that wasn't serving me. Yeah, you're right. Maybe I do need to change that belief. So just having that kind of process where you're with someone, that in itself makes a huge difference. And and doing those more challenging um, things later on. Because then once they've gone through the easier ones first, they get the hang of it and they're like, this is actually not a big deal. And I was giving more weight to my attachment than I needed to. Hmm. We are in such a, um, I don't know, the word isn't coming to me, but a, a materialistic I yes, guess, society yeah. of for every birthday, holiday, it's, you know, a list of things you would want and then purchase those things. And, you know, there's the person that's hard to buy for. So then you're going, you're trying to rack your brain of, oh, I could maybe buy them this weird espresso maker that makes a special type of coffee that isn't the regular type of coffee they have. And then you just accumulate all of these kind of specialized gadgets and things that you probably use once a year, if that. Exactly. Do you find it really hard to work with people and uh, do you have them reframe holidays and birthdays and the idea of maybe asking for experiences instead of things or trying to let family know that that's something you're interested in more than objects? Yeah, definitely. Boundaries is a huge, huge aspect of the work that I do. And it's setting boundaries with how they're spending their time, setting boundaries around their shopping. And the hardest one is setting boundaries with other people and particularly around gifts. And so there's two parts to that. It's one, helping them let go of gifts that someone gave them to them because they feel guilty. And what if that person asks me? And right, that's a big one. And then the other part is, yes, I do encourage them to ask when that's come up. It's not always something that comes up with clients, but when it has, it is going, okay, well, can you ask them for experiences instead and tell them, hey, I'm going through this process of decluttering my life. You know, I don't want to accumulate again from now on for gifts. Can you please get me an experience? These are the things that, you know, I like to do or my partner and I like to do or, you know, the kids and I like to do whatever your situation is. And that, that helps, that helps a lot. And it's a transition, right? It's, Mm -hmm. it takes time to, to adjust the thinking and then make it into an action. And I find that people have a really hard time challenging themselves in social situations and saying no and saying, you know what? No, I can't do that. There's a lot of, I don't know what if, like, I can only speak here. Like in Canada, we get people make fun of Canadians and say that we're so nice. And oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. Yes, we do say sorry a lot. <laughs> and um, it's like this fear of offending someone. There's this undertone of this fear. And it's, it's not helpful because then a person is ending up with a life that doesn't match what they want. And they're ending up, for example, with clutter. Mm-hmm. so it's, it's it's really looking yeah. at the boundary it's really looking at like setting boundaries when it comes to that yeah especially if you know it's tough for you to get rid of exactly. in the first place so yeah. when something comes in it's really a process I'm sure of just self-awareness right you're just yes. getting more and more self-aware the entire time yes exactly so you understand if it comes in it's going to be really hard to get it out so let's try and just not to bring it in in the first place exactly and that's that's the other piece is changing those habits of you know when I go shopping I was buying three four boxes of cereal and my kitchen's really small well 
I need to change that only by one so that it can actually fit in the cupboard. And then I buy another one when that one's finished, for example, like just being open to changing those daily habits so that you're not creating that clutter. And I guess, you know, on one side of the coin, we do live in this immediate society that can be challenging. But on the other side of the coin, we live in an immediate society. So if you do need something, you can probably get it within two days on Amazon, right? So you don't necessarily need to stockpile a bunch of extras of things because you could just get it in two day shipping probably. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. And we, we don't have like, there's so many different stores that you can go to. And at the end of the day, what do you really need to live? You just need the basics. You just need the basics. So the the abundance of stuff that people have, it's it's almost become like a hobby to go shopping and people Mm -hmm. don't really need those things. Right. Or I know working with clients, they're just shocked. I don't own an air fryer. We got rid of our crock pot when we moved. Okay. Um, We don't have an Instapot. And that's just a personal choice. I just, I used to live in New York City. I lived in a very small apartment. Okay. I didn't have a toaster or a microwave for 12 years. And I got used to it, just using sheet pans and skillets. Exactly. And just the bare necessities to cook. And all of these gadgets, yes, they may speed up the cooking, but typically they're not making you do more hands-on time. So for example, if maybe the air fryer cooks green beans in five minutes, but then I could put them in the oven for 10 minutes. So if you plan ahead, you know, you can just set it and forget it in the same way in an oven on a sheet pan. Um, there's definitely perks. I mean, I know people love their Instapot. They love their air fryer. And I would never say. I heard about those. <laughs> yeah, I would never say people shouldn't have those. But I think. What I see with clients, again, from a nutrition perspective, is they almost get this analysis paralysis of now I have all of these gadgets and I don't know what to use to cook. And the kitchen becomes more of an overwhelming space than a space they want to spend time in because the counters are covered in gadgets and they barely have space to chop things. And So just reevaluating, you know, if you're not using these gadgets, if you thought they were going to be great for you, but they ended up not being great, or if there's one you use more than others, you don't have to have all of those things to make a meal and to make easy meals. They are, have great marketing behind them and they'll make you think you have to have this tool. And then everybody's posting recipes about air fryer or Instapot. And I can make the exact same things. Again, it may just take five or 10 more minutes in the oven. Um, But I find it interesting that people are so shocked and just, I'm the weird one because I don't want these things. I hear you. I don't know if you find that, you know. I hear you. I agree because it's, I like to keep things simple. I don't, you know, when I was teaching, everybody was talking about the Instapot, everyone. And they're like, oh, you got to get one. And I'm like, eh, we'll see. I have a small kitchen. I don't have room for it. So maybe one day I'll get one, but I can live without one for now. And, you know, I haven't had a TV in over 10 years. And people are like, what do you do? And I'm like, I talk to people on the phone. I go for a walk. Like, I make my dinner. Like, what do you do at night? Like, I don't sit in front of the TV all night. So it it gives me that space to have, to be on, more on top of my life and just not be a couch potato, literally. And so it's, it's doing things because 
they make sense for me, not just because. And I think that's, you, you made a very good point there, being in a materialistic society. Two things. One, it just, it makes people believe they need things when they don't. And those things create clutter and chaos in their life and just their distractions. And two, I, I was reading about um, attachment styles and like or attachment to belongings specifically. And it was saying how cultures that are sharing communities don't have attachment issues. It's called the endowment effect. So mm. we have in North America, a very strong endowment effect because there's so much focus on mine, mine, mine. This is mine. Whereas cultures that have sharing, they don't have any attachment to belongings because they share everything. Yeah. So it's it's a social, it's a conditioning, right? It's it's a programming. It's it's a way that, you know, we actually, it's not innate to be like this. It's a socialization. Right. So like it's through socializing and, and culture and and media and marketing and all that fun stuff. Right. I know. I just accepted the fact that people are always going to think of me as weird, <laughs> especially living in the United States in a materialistic society. Oh, yeah. I'm the weird one. And it's fine. I People laugh about it. Or I actually just got a toaster. Okay. And I would just toast bread in the oven because, again, I was used to doing that for me. Yeah. Why not? And yeah. And then I thought about it for a while. I didn't just buy it immediately. I thought, you know, every time I'm doing this, it is kind of annoying. Our oven specifically at our newer apartment takes forever to heat up. Okay. Um, so it was turning into more of a chore that could be solved by a toaster. And so I talked to my husband about it and he said, yeah, obviously we should just get a toaster. But before buying it, I specifically thought, where am I going to put this? I don't want it to be on the counter. Yeah. So I made sure I have space in a cupboard so I can put it away. Yeah. And it was a very intentional choice. And I just, I think that the more intentional I am on the front end, the less clutter I bring in and then the less struggle I have to have on the back end of, oh, should I get rid of this? I bought it. I never used it. And so I'm just kind of used to that cycle now. But again, people find it very strange and I get made fun of for being this minimalistic, uh, person who doesn't want a bunch of stuff and I don't care. Cause I just, I love our apartment. I love spending time in the kitchen. I love how light and airy it feels. And so bring it. <laughs> yeah. No, and, and that's, and that's exactly it, right? It's doing things with intention and not doing things just because everybody else is. And I think mm -hmm. that that in itself is what creates the clutter and the hecticness and the disconnect people have from their values and what's important to them, their life purpose, their life mission, because they're so distracted with what everyone else is doing and what, oh, I need to get this or I need to watch this show or, you know, it's, it's all connected. Mm -hmm. When I work with nutrition clients, um, they'll start to say, oh my gosh, I feel so much better. I had no idea how good I could feel when I just start eating more nutrient dense foods and giving my body the fuel it needs. And then they don't want to go back to how they felt before. And that's very motivating for them to keep going. And I'm sure it's the same type of thing with clutter. When you do this work with people, right. once they get a lot of the stuff out and they realize how free they can feel in their home and just how beautiful their home can look, I'm sure they don't want to go back. And then that's why it's important to do all this internal work. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah.
Definitely. You mentioned um, starting with values, and then you talked about beliefs and thoughts. I would love to hear, I know you have a five-step process for helping people create lasting change. I would love if you could walk us through that. Sure. Yeah. It's, uh, it's been an evolution. I think it was three steps at one point and now I've made it, I made it to five a number of years ago. And it again, it starts with the values. Like what, what is most important to you? What is your life purpose? Where do you see that there's a disconnect? You know, what are you feeling good about? And these can change, right? As life changes and we're focusing on different things, our values can change. And so once we kind of get clear on what is it that you're trying to create right now? What is it that's important to you right now? Okay, let's make some goals. So that's the first step. And when we make the goals, we make them specifically around their space. You know, what needs to change in your space to support those those goals and those visions and those uh, values that you have? What needs to change in your time? Because if you're focusing on creating something and you're not spending enough time in it, well, something needs to change. And then the last part is looking at, well, what habits and routines and beliefs do we need to address? So it's three phases. And within each of those phases, we do these five steps of the the values, the goals. And then the second step is the planning. And it's like, like I said before, what are the categories that are easy to declutter first? And, you know, what are some obstacles that will come up? And when are we going to do this? And let's look at the time frame. And then the third step is let's get at it. What do you need to let go of? What physical things do you need to let go of? And while we're doing that, what beliefs and attachments do you need to let go of? And then it's looking at, okay, this is what's left. Now that we got rid of all those distractions, all those physical belongings that were in the way, you know, how can we organize it to support what you're doing? If someone is wanting to write a book, but they had nowhere to work before, well, now that we decluttered, we can reorganize their furniture to create a little nice nook so that they can focus on writing once a day for an hour each day. And then we go through that same process with their time management so that we're actually blocking in time for those goals that they have. And then the last step is sustain. And that's looking at the more micro. What are those beliefs that need to change, those attachments? You know, we, I always have people really focus on a morning and evening routine and creating a weekly schedule that they can kind of have a general sense of what their week looks like. And, you know, things like journaling and habit tracking, and, and that's the final piece. And so all together, we start out with their physical space first, go through those five steps, then we go back, we do the time management, go through those steps, and then the habits and routines happens throughout that process. And then it happens more formally at the end, once we've done the space and the time. It's, I'm not sure what it's like. I know you're in Canada. Yeah. I'm, it's probably similar, but here we have all of these organization stores. Oh, yes. So <laughs> a container store. Do you yeah. have a container store in Canada? No, we have, oh, what's it called? I don't even go to them. There's one that's specifically for like bins, like yeah. different kinds of bins and containers and that's all it is. Yeah. Yeah. That's what the container store is. I think they've branched out a little bit. I mean, they have closet organization. It, they, it's beautifully done. You go in and I mean, it's literally everything you could ever want to organize. But I think the message that's often spread is you go to these stores to buy things, 
to buy bins and more systems. stuff. <laughs> yes, exactly. You buy stuff to organize your stuff, but you mentioned the important term of letting go. Yes. And do you find that a lot of people just jump straight to, oh, I need to organize my closet and don't do the letting go piece? It depends. When I first started, I wasn't communicating clearly on my website and in my consultations that this process was about changing all aspects of their life, including their thinking and their habits and their attachments and being able to let go. So in the beginning, I had clients that just wanted those storage solutions. And I was having a lot of uh, resistance from them because I was pushing them to not. Once I became more clear of my process and did those initial consultations, people understood contacting me that it was more than the storage solutions because my Mm -hmm. blogs talk about it. You know, my about section talks about it. My homepage talks about it. So I run into that less and less now. So there is definitely a continuum of people who are like, nope, I just need the storage solution to the people are like, I'm ready to let go of it all and like really create change. So there's definitely a continuum. Mm. And then you have the initial consult to be sure. Yes. You're working with somebody who's down with the letting go part. Exactly. Even if there's even, even if it's hard, right. Cause mm-hmm. you know, I've, I've had a recent client that I'm going to start working with and they were very clear that this is going to be a very hard process for them. That letting go is very difficult. They know they have to do it. That's why they're getting help. So if there's that awareness, it's different than what are you talking about letting go? I don't have to let go of anything. Right. So as long as there's a willingness to let go, that's, that's what I need and that they know what's might be challenging. However, they're open to, to changing so that they won't be creating that clutter again, essentially. What do you do uh, with clients who have kids? I know that's pushback I get if I say, Oh, I like to, not keep a lot of clutter in my home and keep it very open and spacious. People will come back immediately with, Oh, well, you don't have kids yet. Wait till you have kids. And it's a whole different story. What do you say to those people? Yeah, it's, (laughs) I I try not to be too blunt because then people are like, Oh, that's not fair. It's, it's an excuse. If, If you want the honest answer, it's an excuse because any situation someone's in is in, it's a choice, right? And what boundaries are you setting with your children? Are you buying them excessive amounts of toys that they don't need? And then they're attached to them because they're now learning that stuff is important, not people and experiences. So when it comes to working with families, I haven't worked with, I would love to work with more families. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, there's one in particular I'm working with and I'm working with one of, mostly one of the parents. And now that parent is going through the process with the child. And so this child is now being like, Oh yeah, I can let go of that. I'm going to donate it. So they're already learning. Right. Mm -hmm. So I think it's, it's really getting down to the basics of what's most important to you and how can you teach that to your children? What is it that you want to teach to your children? that stuff is more important than people and living in a calm, clean home. So it's, it's asking those hard questions of what is more important because the less toys those kids have, 
the more likely the home is going to be organized. And are you teaching your children to pick up after themselves? That's the other issue. Because I feel like our, at least the kids I was working with in the school system when I was teaching, a lot of them, I had a child in grade five that couldn't tie their shoelaces. Mm. And it's like, how can you not tie your shoelaces? Like, this is a serious problem because the parents aren't spending the time with the children to make them independent, right? There's too much helicopter parents. And so then they're working a lot. You know, it's not a black or white situation. We live in a, in a society that makes it very challenging to live, you know, on such a simple salary because things are so expensive. At the same time, you have to make a choice of, well, what do we really need? And how can I make my child a very independent proactive person that really perseveres as opposed to a child that just has everything given to them and then they're not proactive and they're not a lifelong learner they don't have a growth mindset and then if there's a challenge they can't face it right right so if there's a lot of different elements to that to that question it's um it's what's the lifestyle what are the values of the families And how can they reassess to really look at, okay, well, is this stuff really that important? Hey there, health investor. I hope you're enjoying the episode. Just popping in here for a quick minute to share an exciting opportunity with you. Outside of hosting this podcast, I work as a nutrition coach specializing in sustainable weight loss. If you've been struggling to lose weight and actually keep it off, I'd love to connect with you in my group or one-on-one coaching program. Unlike restrictive, hard-to-follow diets that only provide short-term results, I help you adopt science-backed habits and an everything-in-moderation mindset so that you can lose weight permanently, feel completely in control of your cravings, have steady energy throughout the day, and stick with healthy habits long-term. To learn more about my coaching programs and apply to work with me, visit thehealthinvestment.com or follow me on Instagram at the health investment. Now back to the episode. Mm-hmm. I'm sure setting, you've mentioned multiple times, the whole setting boundaries thing. Right. So I'm sure it's important. <laughs> I'm sure it's important with uh, family at birthdays and Christmas yes. to set the boundary yes. of, you know, we're really hoping to go on this family vacation next year. So if you could, put money towards that and yes get creative right keep the gift more to a small thing or um there's different classes that kids could you know gymnastics or soccer league I mean there's different experiential things that could be gifts still that aren't maybe as impersonal as a gift card yeah people kind of hate the whole gift card thing or cash that can be tacky yes um but I know my husband and I, for our wedding, we didn't want a lot of stuff. Again, we were still living in New York City, so there was no way we could bring in <laughs> Dishes all of the and gadgets. And yeah. yeah, I mean, there, we had zero space. Um, so we did, I think it was called Honey Fund. Oh. And so we registered for our honeymoon. Oh, and so okay. people would, it was really cool. I think it's still around. People would give money, but they would be able to specify some type of experience on your honeymoon. So really it was just all cash going into one big pot, but they could say, 
here's $100 for a dinner, or here's $50 for a nice bottle of wine. And then they felt like they were kind of giving that dinner or that wine. So it felt more personal than just giving a check or cash. But it all went into just one bank account. So then we could use the money however we wanted to do. And it worked out great. People were very respectful of that boundary. And we didn't get a lot of stuff that we wouldn't have been able to store in the first place. And so, you know, I'm thinking they're setting up something like that, even of a fund for a child of, you know, we're going to use this fund for the next year for their different classes and maybe go on a trip and um, then explaining to the child when you're on the trip, like this is part of your Christmas present, right? Or making that direct connection. I, I love that idea. And I'm going to start using it with clients because I've done similar. <laughs> I love it because it's a little, it's slightly different than, you know, an experience, right? It's kind of like the, it's a bigger picture of it. Mm-hmm. And especially when you're like, if we're going back to the kid example and all the toys, you know, I know some people here, they'll do, um, we have like, through the bank, you can do like an RE, like an education fund through the bank. Yep. And so then, you know, you could donate to the child's education when, if they choose to go to university or college. So that's one way, but I like this idea of, okay, we have, you know, we really want our child to do these classes. They can get expensive. Right. Mm. And then getting families to donate towards that and being really specific because it's like, this is what we want to do as a family we would prefer this over a toy. Yeah. Right. Or if it's something very like specific of, you know, my cousin had twins and there was one woman who made beautiful quilts for the two children Oh wow! and like all this handmade stuff. So if you're doing something specialized like that, that's a great gift. However, if you're like, okay, here's the next, you know, Nerf gun, here you go. <laughs> right. Like how many Nerf guns can a kid have? <laughs> right. So I love that idea. Yeah, And it's all just about balance, right? It's like, it's not that no toys can exist. It's not that no kitchen gadgets can exist. It's just, I think so important what you're saying of determining what are your values and connecting with that and just continually asking yourself, do these objects fit with my values? And, And am I being intentional about what I'm bringing into my home? And you can still bring toys in, but if it's more of an intentional process than just a floodgate of gifts, yes, it's different. Yeah. And that's, that's really the premise of, of what I do is helping people be intentional. It's one of the premises. One, it's helping people change um, mm-hmm. and really inspiring them to kind of like just take charge of their life and do what works for them, not what they think they have to do. At the foundation of that, that's all about being intentional. Because I feel like right. when we're intentional we're happier, we're more connected to ourselves, we're more present, we're less distracted, because in any given moment, I know what I'm doing, and I know why I'm doing it. And so then I'm not just like dumping something on the floor, I'm not just rushing to buy something, because I feel a pinch of anxiety or sadness or something, and I'm, I'm trying to avoid it by shopping, or I see someone else buying something, and it's like, oh, I have to get it too. It's, it's taking that step back and slowing down and saying like, okay, what's important to me? And does this really matter? And saying no, right? And, and like I've said many times of like having those boundaries. Mm-hmm. 
You mentioned the term growth mindset and how it's important to teach that to a child. I'm sure you help adults with that as well. Mm -hmm. Can you explain what that is and why that's so important? Thank you. Yeah, it's it's funny because I, over the years learning about it, it's not this thing where it's black and white, like someone is growth mindset or they're fixed mindset. We're a bit of both Um, because there's always going to be areas where we kind of get stuck and we're like, no, 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 this is how it is. However, I think the more a person practices at being open to learning, and that's another way to maybe look at it, is a growth mindset is I'm willing to keep on learning. I don't know everything and I can keep on growing. Whereas fixed, it's more victim mode and, oh, there's nothing you can do about this and this is just how it is and, you know, this is how I'm doing it and that's it. And that creates a lot more suffering because that person is not empowered to change. And so the growth mindset allows for a lot of opportunity, a lot of growth, a lot of learning, and really just getting to a place of excellence at everything you do, instead of just being comfortable and just kind of going through life, you know, all right, this is okay. And just like mediocre, instead of challenging yourself to be better and better and not to do that in a way where we're discounting who we are right now in this moment, but just growing and expanding. And that's, I think it's really important in the work I do because I am challenging people to change. So they're, they're wanting a home that's organized. Well, you have to be willing to learn. You have to be willing to see things differently. You have to be willing to grow. And to to have a different perspective and to change a belief that maybe you've had for 30 years. And then you're like, you know what? I don't need that anymore. (laughs) I think I need to change it. So it's it's, it's almost essential with with, uh, the people that I work with that they have that mindset that they're more open. Right. As you were saying that, it was making me think, as we get older, we almost wear these beliefs as a part of our personality. So somebody would say oh, I'm just disorganized. That's just who I am. Or somebody will come to me and say, oh, I'm a stress eater. That's just who I am. And so really pausing and looking at that and saying, you know, are you open to learning that you don't have to be a stress eater? Not that it's going to happen overnight. It's a skill to learn how to not eat for stress. But if you think this is who I am and I can't ever grow out of that, change is borderline impossible. Yeah. And that is so, what you just, like how you uh, described it is exactly the pinnacle piece that's needed um, for people to change. Because if they're like, oh no, this is just who I am. And I got that a lot in the beginning, like, oh, I'm just disorganized. It's a skill, just like you said. And that's where the growth mindset comes in. Because you can learn to be organized. You can learn to deal with your emotions in different ways. So you're not being an emotional eater. But it has to be that willingness to say, you know what, this is actually a problem, admitting that what you weren't doing was not helpful. And if people are struggling with low self-esteem, you know, they're not feeling good about themselves, it takes a lot to admit, takes a lot of courage to admit and to ask for help. It's easier just to say like, oh, this is just how I am. There's nothing I can do about it. Because then if I try, I've tried before, I failed. So I don't want to admit it because then you know, I'll fail again, and then I'll just be even more embarrassed. Instead of taking charge and saying, you know what, I struggle with this, I'm going to get help. It's not going to be easy. However, I can do it. And I'm going to get the support that I need so that I can do it and learn, right? Right. 
Yeah. Well, one of the final questions I ask each of my guests is, in your opinion, what does it mean to make the health investment? Hmm, good question. <laughs> I think that for me, health is the number one priority in my life because I have struggled with health since I was a kid and, you know, not knowing it when it was when I was younger. And, you know, as I get older, some of the things are like food sensitivities that were making me really sick and not knowing. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And so for me, like that was always a priority because it affected me so much. And I've always put so much time and energy into my health because without your health, you don't have anything, right? You could be very rich and have anything and go anywhere and do anything you want. But if you don't have your health, at the end of the day, you don't really have anything. It's like not having community or not having people in your life. And so to me, it's the foundation alongside of having human connection and so that means making time making it a priority in your life and it will have a ripple a positive ripple effect in all other areas of your life if you are like you say making that health investment in yourself and your well-being I know listeners are going to want to follow you and find you wherever you are on social media (laughs) or the internet right where can they find you Yes, I do. I'm not hugely active on social media. They can find me on Instagram and Facebook and YouTube. YouTube, I'm trying to be more consistent with um, having regular videos that expand on my blogs. And then my website, I definitely uh, would say go to my website because I have many years of blogs on there that talk about all the topics we were talking about today and more. And then I have a newsletter. Um, So those are great places to find me. And on podcasts now, and I'm being interviewed, so that's another place. (laughs) Awesome. Well, I'm so grateful that you shared your wisdom and experience with us today. And I know I'm looking forward to staying connected off air, and I'm sure listeners are as well. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure. Well, that's all for today. Thanks again for joining me here on the Health Investment Podcast. I'm so grateful for each and every one of my listeners. On your way out, remember to hit subscribe so that you never miss an episode. See you next week. All content in this podcast was created for general informational purposes only by a non-physician. None of the content should serve as a substitute for professional medical advice, treatment, or diagnosis. Always consult a qualified health provider with any questions regarding a medical condition and before making changes to your diet, lifestyle, and or exercise programs. Do not disregard any professional medical advice you have received or postpone seeking such advice because of something you heard on this podcast.